as a youth leader or as a leader in a church, our job is to continue to be the minister, to continue to be the leader, no matter what happens, whether it's a death by cancer, a death by car accident, especially a death by suicide, which can take everybody to a, a whole nother place. Our job as the youth leaders, and even as a parent, is to continue to be that leader to all those people who are not prepared for that, who can't handle that emotionally. During today's episode, we take a diversion from our normal conversation with Barbara Roberts, and we join Jonathan Lunsford as we talk about one of his hardest times as a youth pastor dealing with a teen suicide. Really, the easiest way to do that is to maintain your relationship with God and let him walk you through that process. Please join us for this dialogue of dealing with the action. Remember, suicide is a preventable action. As someone in the church who had a brother who died of suicide uh, many years ago, this is a much needed dialogue within the church. Much to my surprise, I found this, and I was like shocked that there's actually Christians who are doing a you know, protective dialogue about suicide prevention and, you know, how to help people with suicide and, you know, you know, all that. So, yes, I very much recommend this to anybody who uh, is, you know, dealing with suicide or, you know, led one particular those within the church. Like I said, in a much-needed dialogue within the church. So, yep, I recommend anybody listen to this. The Ear, Evangelical and Reformed, Christian Podcast. Welcome to The Ear, the Evangelical and Reformed, a Christian podcast that urges you to think deeper and draws you closer to God through faith. Through powerful sermons, teaching segments, and discussions, The Ear hopes to give you a different perspective on secular topics from a Christian worldview. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Please welcome your host, Brandon Queen. Suicide is one of those things where we have a obligation to the victim to help them. We must recognize the sign. We must listen to them actively. And when we hear those trigger statements, like I can't take it anymore, or I can't do this anymore, we must act. We must act, we must do something, we must get them help. We don't wanna get caught at their funeral, twiddling our thumbs, saying, what if, or I should have, or I could have. Let's prevent this now. Listen closely. If you have a friend that is dealing with a suicidal thought, listen, listen, listen and do something for it is their life that is at stake good morning podcast world and welcome to yet another episode of the ear today we're going to take a little diversion from with her last breath with barbara roberts and we're going to join in with jonathan lungsford and he has a very important story that needs to be heard that we're going to share and we're going to talk about different ways of dealing with the issue or dealing with the action. So without further ado, please welcome Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Did I butcher your last name? It's uh, Lunsford. but Okay. 
I don't know. I don't. know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my whole life has been butchered, so it's fun. Okay, cool. All right. Well, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a, a minister. Um, I'm 40 years old. Been married for 20 years. I have five kids. I'm originally from the mountains of North Georgia, uh, in Western North Carolina, and then uh, about. Uh, eight years ago, the Lord, you know, asked us to move to Louisiana, so we're down here in, in southwest Louisiana now, um, working at church and stuff. Not not active in ministry as much at the moment, but I have been in the past, and so I'm just here working and raising kids. Nice, nice. Okay, well, that's fun. <laughs> How old are your kids? <laughs> oh, man. Uh the oldest one will be 15 next month, and the youngest one's just turned five. So, Awesome. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about dealing with the actions. All right. And your story is you were a youth pastor back at uh, yeah. in Georgia. Yes. And you were part of a – or you had a youth group of about 25 to 30 kids? Uh, yeah, about that. But at that time, yeah. Okay. It got bigger and smaller, you know how they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, inflation. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you had a, a one of your youth commit suicide. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Well, first, the first question I'm going to ask you is how is it being a youth pastor? Um, well, it was I, I would hope that everybody has a better experience than I did. Um you know, it was it was tough. It was it's not easy because unlike being a pastor of a church, you're dealing with adults with with youth pastor. You're dealing with teenagers that then have to answer to adults. So there's a lot of challenges there. The parents don't necessarily want to do the things that, you know, so it, it can be challenging it is absolutely a blast. I love doing it. Um, it was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had in my life. Um, but it was sometimes a struggle dealing with the parents. And they kind of made it more challenging than than it needed to be, uh, but when it came to the teens and watching them grow, and knowing that you know of the core group that I had, I have like seven or eight that are are now preachers. That oh wow! Are, uh, and I have a bunch. Not that I had anything to do with that, but I was just there to help facilitate. Uh, some of them were you know watched kids get saved, watched kids grow in the Lord. Some of them seminary. Um, some of them are doing amazing things right now. One of them is missionary in Mexico, uh, pastors a church down there. Um, and so it, it's, it's great having been a part of their life. It was, it's well worth it. Yeah. It's just challenging. <laughs> yeah. I, I deal with the youth over, <clears throat> excuse me. I deal with the youth uh, down here you know, at my church and we're not as big as uh, your youth group was, but just the different personalities that are within the youth group. Which leads to my next question. Uh, did you have multiple personalities in the youth group, or are they good, bad, or toxic? Um, well, just like anything, you know, you have the four main personality types. Um, you can get into that conversation, but uh, you have people who are outgoing. You have people who are reclusive. Some people are bossy, and some people will just do whatever you tell them to. Uh, we had those two. Where, I, where, where I'm from, there in North Georgia, there's there's a lot of people who move in um, and, you know, and retire there. So then their kids come and then their grandkids come. And so a lot of our group was them kids. So we have a lot of the redneck kids the mountain kids, you know, the hillbillies, <laughs> if you want to call it. And then we had a lot of the city kids and stuff. But when it, for the most part, there was a lot of differences in their personality. But one of the things that we really, you know, pushed for was that 
was that in in the in serving people and in, in worship um just it doesn't matter who you are it's about between it's between god and and you you know and when you see somebody that's in full worship uh, and their hands are lifted and they're crying and they're talking to the lord and the lord's talking to them and uh, it doesn't matter where their background is and they would see that and it allowed them to to get closer together because they both know that they're closer to god so it was it was, it was really interesting but toxic um that goes back to the parents honestly <laughs> that was the hardest part uh I had one particular uh, kid whose mom constantly threatened to take her kids away from the church because of the way that I was. And it's, it, it was not me. It was the way they were. But it was just it, it was uh, I, the children themselves. know toxic. But I did deal with some toxicity, but mostly from the some of the parents. So. Yeah, it's like that in most youth organizations is always the parents. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, especially in little league baseball. Yeah, I know firsthand with Boy Scouts, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. All right, so now I want to kind of shift gears, and I want to start talking about the uh, the teen that committed suicide, and you know who was the teen? Uh, his name was Justin, um, and um, it was kind of it's, it's sort of hard to talk about sometimes, but. Um, I don't want to tell his last name because I haven't got permission. I was trying to get all his mom to say if it was okay to talk about this, but couldn't get a hold of her. So I'll just say his first name was Justin. Um, he was from a divorced family. His dad was very um, – his dad lived in Michigan, and they lived there in Georgia. Um, but his stepdad was amazing. His family unit there was awesome, you know. But his father wasn't there, and his father kind of was one of them guys that had rejected him, you know, by not being there. Hmm. And although we tried constantly to, to 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 point out that he was loved and he was he wanted to be, um, you know that he wanted to be in church and he wanted to have that, but he had that inner conflict as why why does my dad why did my dad reject me? Um, and but if, I don't know that that was what it was. You know you know how divorce is. That's why I hate divorce so much. Yeah, me too. Um, and. So what for him, it was, he had that conflict and he was extremely charismatic. He was an extremely good looking kid, very popular, but there was still that inner struggle. Um, and we saw it and we prayed for him and we, we prayed with him and, and we, we spent a lot of time with him and he was in and out of church. His mom and dad were Sunday morning only people. Um, and so a lot of times it was hard to him for him to get to the Wednesday night services, which is where the teens really met. Um, and I was, I even, uh, when I was working and doing construction at the time there in the area, I would occasionally go to his house and pick him up. Um, and he would come to work with me during the summertime or off days of school and, and we would work together and, and give him some money and give him a job just to kind of be with him and hang out with him. So I, I spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time more with him than any other kid in the group. Um, but he was, I mean, he was a very charismatic we didn't necessarily see the signs, um, but they were there, and we saw, of course, in hindsight, you see signs, but um, but we didn't really see it, and I, I don't know where, how how deep you want me to go in that just yet, but um, the whole ordeal that went down was was very shocking. We didn't see that coming. This, we weren't prepared for that. Yeah, what year did this happen? Man, it's 10 years ago this uh, January, which is kind of funny because we were talking – this coming January would be 10 years, so 2010. Um, 
we, my wife and I were just discussing this the other day about doing something and bringing this to light and letting people know. Uh, and then it was really amazing. That I ran into you on, on the, on the Facebook page. So it all worked out. Well, you know, suicide is a very tough topic to talk about. Very tough uh, situation to deal with. And it's something that, you know, everyone wishes they would never have to do, you know? So now, you know, he, you said he committed suicide in January of uh, 2010. Um, it's kind of a kind of a rough year for most teens during that time. You know, I could remember we had some issues here with kids being bullied in school and, you know, uh, stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's a tough thing. So overall, you, you said his behavior was very charismatic, you know, but what was his well, behavior? Yeah, his... Go ahead, sir. Yeah, what was his behavior like with, you know, adults and the youth? Uh, he was the show-off kid. You know, he was the one that would uh, walk into a room and, and make jokes. Um, and And it didn't matter if it was an adult or a teenager, you know. Uh, I would... I'm not going to try to diagnose him, but it was almost as if he was flip a switch, maybe a little bipolar where he was, you know, he can get in the, in the, the, he get down. And then there was times that he was really active and outgoing. And as a teenager myself, remembering back way back then, um, there was times that I was down and there was times that I was more happy. And I think that we tend to look at, you know, teenagers, especially with the hormones and, um, with all the stuff that goes on, we tend to kind of look past it and think, oh, well, that's just them being teenagers. Uh, uh, and, and unfortunately, that's something we have to be way more aware of today than it was even back in the 90s when I was his age. He was 17 when he died. Yeah. So, yeah, he'd be 27. Uh, he just would have turned 27, I think, this last month, I believe. So. Man, that's, that's something a parent are never going to be able to get over, you know. It's just nope. such a horrible thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, how does how does how do you as a youth pastor, you know, deal with this kind of information? Like, once you got the information, how did you, I guess, process it? Um. Well, I always kind of feel like I did it wrong, you know, because I didn't cry at first. Um, it was kind of weird. It's hard to explain that to people, but. I was working in a factory in Franklin, North Carolina, which was just like a half hour drive. Uh, I was headed to work. I was working the graveyard shift and I was headed to work one night and his grandmother, who's a member of the church, a good friend of mine, called me and said that Justin had overdosed on some pills. Um, and so I immediately got off the phone with her and I called his stepfather or, you know, his dad, the guy who raised him basically. And, um, and I talked to him and I said, well, I'm headed to work. So if you need me, call me. And we had, uh, in this manufacturing factory, we had a very strict, no cell phones on the floor policy. And, and I didn't intend to have my phone in my pocket. I wasn't my desire. I didn't set out to be disrespectful to the rules, but I did have my phone in my pocket. Uh, cause I, when it vibrated at four o'clock in the morning, um, I was like, Hey, my phone's in my pocket. And I pulled it out and it was his grandmother. And I didn't answer it because I'm on the floor and I didn't want to lose my job. And so I kind of made my way toward the bathroom uh, so that, or to the break room so that I could, you know, check the voicemail. 
And then before I got there, my, my pastor called me. Um, and then so right there on the floor, I just answered the phone. And uh, he told me that Justin had, had uh, committed suicide. Um, so I immediately walked up to my my uh, um, department supervisor, who is a pastor himself. Oh, wow. <laughs> and said, hey, I have to go. You know, I'm leaving. I'll take a point and I'll whatever it takes. I'll take the whatever punishment, but I have to go. And here's why it's a Friday. So I immediately drove uh, to the house and told my wife and, uh, and then I got changed and I went to my high school where, which was his high school where I graduated as well. And um, I walked in and I just uh, walked in the office and the ladies that were there was the ladies that were there when I was in high school. And, and I told them who I was and that I was Justin's youth pastor and, and I didn't even need a badge or nothing. They just let me go. And so I went around trying to find all my, my youth, you know, and, uh, cause nobody really found out until they got to school. Mm. Um, and so, um, which, which is crazy. Cause a few years, you know, when I was in high school, we'd had a kid pass away from cancer, uh, named Josh English who was one of them, a good friend of mine. And the, I remember walking up to the school, walking up to the second floor of the school and, in 97 and when i walked around that corner i saw all the kids crying and that's how i knew that josh had passed away and then i walk up the same flight of stairs you know 13 years later and there's kids crying because of what had happened and it was very emotional that's when i kind of started having to hold stuff back and because i i got to address the the faculty uh which was kind of cool but i told them that today is our day to help these children and uh, we need to be there for them. Uh, these teenagers are, are, we don't, we're, I mean, we're struggling, we're hurting, but we can wait until we get home to break down. We need to be here for these children right now. And, um, and I just ask everybody, because there's always a strong one. When somebody dies, there's always a strong family member. And I just requested that all of them to be the strong one, be strong for those kids until you get home. When you get home, do what you got to do, you know, get in your car or whatever, but be the strong one right now. And, so it was really interesting to uh, to be able to be a part of that, walking around the school and helping. I don't. Think uh, we you, had. Go ahead. I don't think you did it wrong. I think you. Uh, I think you handled it very well by staying firm. Or you, I won't use the word firm, but you didn't. Yeah, really, you wasn't a basket case. You know what I mean? Like no, it, no. It needed. They needed someone that was that had it together at that time to kind of help them cope with it. So I don't think you did it wrong. I think it was just a different approach. Oh, well, that's just, yeah, the Lord was with me there. There's no way around that one. There's, there's no way to explain it other than God was just giving me strength when I needed it the most. And, and, um, yeah, but it was a couple of days, um, that, that afternoon we went to his mom's house and, and his house and, and, uh, hung out with the family. And, and then, um, it was just, we were still questioning what, what caused this, what, what was, you know, and it's taken us years to kind of look back at it and figure out, is there something we could have done? Is there something we couldn't have done? Did we do enough? And I think what's important is for the the ministers to, I mean, if you have youth, or, or even if it's not even youth, even if it's not your, your ministry, if it's your family, uh, if there's a suicide that happens, and it, and, it, and unfortunately it happens, and we, we, we deplore it, we hate it, but it, unfortunately it happens. Um especially on the ministry side, it is our job as ministers to continue to be the minister. Mm -hmm. um, we have to be the minister 
there there can be no difference in how we minister between a woman who has fought cancer for five years and finally dies. You know, as tough as that is, we've been prepared for it. Um, if someone just, you know, just out of nowhere dies in a car accident, uh, so we weren't prepared for it, but it happens. And we kind of, we don't get as upset about it because it wasn't, it wasn't suicide. Um, but one of the things that I noticed that through that was how the, even the, the pastoral staff at our church, you know, none of us had ever dealt with that. It was something that no one had ever dealt with a suicide in the church, let alone a teenager. Right. Um, and we did, I think, the best that we could have done. And we we really opened up the doors. The funeral um, was on a Monday, and the church only holds about 250 people. Hmm. But there was probably 400 people in that church, and over 70% of them were teenagers. And we had the family in the very front, and every I mean, like the front two rows was family, and everybody right behind them was teenagers. We let the teenagers have the front. Um, and it was just, it was just, a, it was a funeral. It was, it was difficult, but apparently, uh, I know of seven kids that gave their life to the Lord, um, uh, at the funeral and, and they became members of our youth group, but there was reports of 50 that did that, but then went on to other churches. So, um, the Lord still used it for his greater good and his glory, but it's just kind of unfortunate that it went the way it did for us, you know? We're the ones that felt that loss more than a lot of other people, but um, yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely challenging. I bet. I mean, I remember I was uh, I think I was in tenth grade when um, and my friend she didn't commit suicide, but I had talked to her um, about we were in band together, or she was on the color guard, I was in band. We were talking about uh, the show because every time she would wave her flag, she'd hit me upside the head with the pole or whatever. So. <laughs> I'm picking with her, and her name was Rachel. Rachel and uh, I forget what her last name was. Chasson. Um, but she called herself Dork, and she looked gothic. She dressed gothic. But nobody never knew what Dork meant until she died. And Dork actually meant daughter of a righteous king. Um, but anyway, we were laughing about the whole, you know, stop hitting me upside the head with the pole, you know, uh, this, that, and the other. Well, two minutes later, as I got into the class, I hear a bunch of commotion. And she dropped, like literally dropped dead of an aneurysm in my other friend's arms. And the whole school was just taken by surprise when that happened because that was the first death, you know, our class ever dealt with. And then a couple months later, another classmate passed away. Um, and then a few years later, another classmate passed away. So, you know, that hit us hard, but it wasn't like... Um, it wasn't as bad as when my buddy Brody committed suicide when he was running from the cops. You know, that one took us all by surprise. But yeah, suicide is one of those things where you you either you can either handle it or you can't. And let's be real, nobody can handle suicide. So with that being said, uh, how did you help your youth cope with the pain? Well, so... My philosophy with um, the suicide prevention is the same philosophy I have for bullying and anti-bullying, uh, which is next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's, um, you know, God, God, Jehovah Father, right? He said, let there be light. And then there was light. 
And because we know that God is all present, all knowing, and he, he's, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. Uh, that one thing that I, I did this uh, sermon one time talking to, I don't remember if it's teenagers or, or if it was uh, to the adults, I don't recall at the moment, but I used the analogy of a, of an autographed baseball, you know? And so the autographed baseball being a, um, like, let's say, let's think of somebody like Babe Ruth. Okay. So Babe Ruth signs a baseball, the, you know, it's just a baseball and it's just got a man's signature on it, but it's Babe Ruth, you know, you think, Oh, it's Babe Ruth. You know? How much is that baseball worth? Well, the, the way that you quantify what something is worth, it, it's based on, what someone is willing to give for it so for you if it's you know i'll give ten dollars for it and that's it then then it's worth ten dollars to you but if somebody's willing to give a million dollars for it then that baseball is technically worth a million dollars even though to you it's only worth 10 right um and and if somebody's willing to give a hundred million dollars for an autograph Babe Ruth baseball then that baseball becomes worth a hundred million dollars even though you're only willing to give 10 for it um and so yeah, sorry. I'll get if I had to catch myself before I get crazy on this. But what what I did was I, I pointed out that that your worth isn't based on what you think it is. It isn't based on what your parents think it is. It isn't based on what your friends think it is. It isn't based on what Uncle Sam thinks it is. Your worth is based on the fact that God was willing to give His Son right up for that, which makes your self worth insanely valuable. Well, or it makes your worth insanely valuable. Even if your self-worth isn't valuable, a high number, God's worth to you is a really high number. And so when you talk about bullying and you talk about suicide, because they kind of go together a lot, the same principle, is you just have to explain to people what their worth is. And your worth is so high that – God himself took on flesh mm-hmm. and died for you so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. Right. That's a very valuable high number. You know, you can't even that that is the true priceless number. You cannot put a number on that. And and so that's something that, that the Lord gave me at two o'clock in the morning one night when I was working in the factory. I just felt that in my spirit. And uh, and I and I laughed. I remember laughing about it. And I had this one kid that was working with me alongside his dad was a pastor at a local church. And, uh, and I told him what it was. He goes, Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. And then, uh, so I just kind of worked it up and prayed and said, Lord, how do I teach this? And I got to teach it. And I've used it a lot because that's what it is. I think for me, that was my tool. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, you know, how you might not feel you're worth anything, but you are, you know, and you might not feel like you're loved, but, all you have to do is go to a funeral of a kid who commits suicide and realize how much they were loved. And, yeah. you know, first uh, Corinthians ten thirteen says, um, a thief comes, but to still kill and destroy. No, I'm sorry. I'm that's John 10, 10. I'm all over the place. No, a 10, 13 says God won't put nothing on you that you can't handle. That's what it is. I'm sorry. I'm just a little nervous. Uh, but it says that there's nothing come to you that's not common to man. You're not the only one right. that's dealing with this. Right. You're not the only one. And if it wasn't, you know, and if it wasn't your friends or something, then then there are other people you're not by yourself. But you feel by yourself. You feel alone. You feel depressed. You feel like nobody that it would be better if they were gone. 
And we can look back and say, no, there's no way that's the case. But man, at that moment, who was, who knows what was going through his mind. Right. And, and I pray that we get to people in advance to tell them, Hey, listen, it doesn't matter what those people did. It doesn't matter what those people didn't do and how they affected you positively or negatively. What matters is that they, um, what matters is that you understand where you stand with a father. And that's what matters. Right. And, and, uh, and that was my way. Yeah. And people need to, I'm going to say harsh, but people should know their worth through Christ. You know I mean? He came and died for us. It's not like um, we're chopped liver, just going to be thrown aside the road for every dog to eat. You know, we, we have a purpose in this world, you know? Absolutely. And it's sad though, because you're trying to teach this to Christians. And that's something they should already know. You know, it's something you, I mean, and maybe not in the suicide argument of it, but, or side of the discussion, it's the, you know, there's a lot of Christians who develop a relationship with Jesus, but they just barely do it. They don't really understand their self, their worth in Christ. Right. And I thought, so that's why I think it's that, that is my weapon. That is my tool. And I know there's other tools out there and I, I, if they work, then let's do it, you know, but that's how I dealt with it at that time. And that's how I had to deal with it with myself. Yeah. You know, I had to, I had to question, I questioned myself a lot through that. So, yeah. Now, what advice or guidance would you give to your youth group or any youth group or any youth for that matter about suicide? And how would you give them hope in Christ? So well, it's a two part question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what was the first part again? I want to answer so the, the first part was um, what advice or guidance would you give to our youth about suicide? Um, well, su- suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, and it's not, you know, I, when people say they're self, a lot of people will say that people who have to commit suicide are selfish. Well, man, that's, that's a demonic thing. That's, that's the devil's messing with them. I think that a lot of the, again, it goes back to the bullying conversation. I think when people know who they are and I think that it's good for everybody to just break down in the scriptures and the break down in the, who they are and think about what. Uh, there was an old hymn. Uh, it was in the uh, book. I, rem- I can't remember the name of it. But it was, I think it might be "Count Your Many Blessings." Name them one by one. Mm-hmm. You know, count your many blessings. See what God has done. Um, and and when you, it seems so cliche to say that, but you know, if you're a leader of a youth group, have have kids do that. Have kids write them down and think, what are the things that God's blessed you with, and keep it to yourself. Don't brag about it because the other kid might not have that blessing. You know. But you have to make sure that kids walk away knowing that that they're loved mainly by God and that God loves them so much it doesn't matter where everybody else. But then point out their love, how they're loved by everybody else. Right. And how how um, they're, them not being no, – I don't even want to get into that. But them not being there would be so dramatic and would change everything so much. And I don't want to see that. I want people to know how much they're, they're loved by God. And so whether it's a teenager – whether it's an adult, whether somebody's just, just, you know, somebody just having a bad day, just, you know, it seems so cliche. Love them and let them know. Just teach them how much God loves them. So that that's my answer to the first part of that. I don't remember the second part. All right. So the, <laughs> so the second part, um, how would you encourage them or teach them of the hope in Christ? Um, well, 
I think that a lot of times, especially in the youth, I'm going to say this, and this is a generalization. I hope I hope I'm wrong, but I think a lot of times in youth we're so driven to be inclusive in activities. We intend we we try to go to we want to get a trip to the water park or the amusement park or let's go to Disneyland and let's raise money for this and that. Or they'll even say, hey, let's raise money to go on a small mission trip and stuff like that. That it becomes a works-based deal or something that we try to do like that. I think that there needs to be really solid discipleship with the youth. I think that that when the youth can walk away, they might not have got to do a lot of fun things as a youth. Because when I was at that very same church as a teenager, there was me and one other girl, and that was a youth group, and we didn't get to do anything. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so it was it was not. Um, for us, they taught us about the love of God. They taught us about what it meant to be a Christian and how to be a servant. And I think that a lot of, a lot of times there our self-worth comes back when we serve people, when we serve people, when we do things that, that, you know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. When we can be Christ-like in our actions, that, that has a great impact on our, on our spirit, has a great impact on our well-being and our mental well-being. And it has a great impact on on how we perceive others and and that teaches them how others look at us. You know, when you go help an old lady weed her garden, you know, around her house, she comes out so excited that you're doing it. You say, hey, you know, like I'm, I'm, hey, I'm helping. I'm helping. You know, I'm important. Yeah. Instead of just, hey, let's have a car wash so we can have a movie night. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's just, I I think that's part of it. Yeah. Well, that's that's good information. Now, th- this question is for you. This is your a personal question for you. What do you do when something like that or something like suicide happens? Like, not what you do for the youth or for other people, but what what does Jonathan do? Um, I'm a I'm a big NASCAR fan. I love racing and there's a saying in NASCAR that, that cautions the yellow flag, the cautions breed cautions. Um, when there's a suicide, if you look in statistics, uh, when there's a suicide, there's almost always a suicide attempt that follows. Uh, it's like an aftershock. A lot of people don't talk about that. Uh, I've spoken with different psychologists and different people over the years. Um, I, I've, I've, I haven't met the person, but I have corresponded. There's an individual who, who has jumped off of the Golden Gate Bridge and survived it. Um, and, and some of the things that he was saying really got me thinking about what, what, what I want to do when I hear of a suicide, which, first of all, we had one at our high school here in, here in Derrida uh, last week. And it was a, and my oldest daughter is a freshman in high school, and he was a freshman, and they kind of sort of were friends. Um, not major friends. They didn't talk every day, but when they saw each other, they were friendly. And so what happened to my daughter last week, what do I do? I express what her need is for the Lord and where the Lord needs her and where she needs the Lord. It was that very thing. Here's your worth, you know, fill it out, make sure that, that where she's at, you know, make sure that there's not a backup aftershock suicide because one kid just can't handle the fact that it happened and sees a way out. Uh, because some my friend just committed suicide, especially if they're close. 
and and if they're both depressed, then or they're both in that setup, and one of them does it, the other one sees that as an avenue. So what I do when I hear of a suicide is go to my knees and pray that there's not another one. Because if there's two, I can only imagine if there's going to be a third before people just can't handle it anymore. Yeah. And and that that's what and it doesn't matter if it's teenagers, it doesn't matter if it's an adult, it doesn't matter if it's even a murder, you know, or or a car accident death. If you start reading, you read all about the murder suicides all the time. Somebody kills somebody and they feel bad about it and they kill themselves. And and yeah, they're in a in a bad place then. So that's that's what that's what I do. That's that's my thing. Is I is I, I go to the Lord and say, We don't need another one. What can we do to prevent another one? Right. Man, seventeen years old. That's kinda that's shocking. Fourteen. Fourteen oh, last week. Fourteen? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And then there was a kid, my daughter came home devastated, obviously. And all she could talk about was that some of the kids in school were telling other kids that, hey, now you should, it's your turn. You need to do that. And, and she was more upset that the way they were making light of the suicide than she was of the suicide. And that just breaks my heart to think that these kids are taking an opportunity to make a joke or even if they're serious, either way. They're making light of it, like it's not even a big deal. That's how sin has come in our lives so much that we just kind of, ah, it's just there. That's just what happens. So that's sad. It it is. Fourteen years old. Yeah, that's that's kind of early, you know. But we we have to remember that God is sovereign through all of this, and He, you know, He is our comfort, and we have to believe and trust that, and have faith in that, you know, and just continue to pray, continue to, to press on, you know, it, it, this is a hard topic, you know, uh, it's a hard thing to deal with in general, uh, you know, 14 years old, 17 year old, 16 year olds committing suicide. You know, I looked up some, uh, statistics earlier and Georgia, uh, between 2008 and 2012, um, this is male suicide. Um, it was somewhere in the ballpark of like 27% to a hundred, hundred thousand, uh, population. You know, and that's that's kind of high, you know, and I think it was like 83 percent overall between male and female. And, and that's that's a high number, you know. So if we can find ways to keep this number down, you know, if you're a youth pastor or a pastor or, you know, a good Christian friend and you know somebody that's going through or thinking about suicide, please get them help. You know, don't just sit around and not do anything. Uh, get, get them help. Get them some kind of help that can either derail their thoughts and you know get them some help or something that can actually probably be a life-changing moment in their lives you know you said it earlier and so did barbara roberts you know it's a temporary fix you know or permanent uh fix to a temporary um solution so well that's all i have uh jonathan i want to thank you for your time and sharing the story with us thank you and i look forward to speaking with you again in the future absolutely
Greetings, this is Steve Selyards, the author of The GA Junkie, and here are some Presbyterian history notes for the week of September 22nd. Sunday, September 22nd. In 1722, John Home was born. He was a Church of Scotland minister, soldier, and playwright, but gave up the ministry as his theatrical pieces began to conflict with the attitude of the Kirk. He had one very successful play, and a number that were less so. Monday, September 23rd. This is the 150th anniversary of Trinity College, Texas, beginning classes with five faculty and seven students. Founded by Brazil Synod of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in uh, Tohaikakana, the school moved to Waxahachie in 1902 and shortly to the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America in the merger with the majority of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. In 1942, the school moved to its current location in San Antonio. Tuesday, September 24th. On this day in 1755, the Board of Trustees of the College of New Jersey sent a letter to the Church of Scotland thanking the General Assembly for the collection they took to help support the College of New Jersey. Wednesday, September 25th, another school anniversary. This is the 90th anniversary of the opening of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. There were 50 students and eight professors at the beginning. The founding of the seminary followed the reorganization of Princeton Theological Seminary. Thursday, September 26th. In 1999, the Uniting Presbyterian Church in Southern Africa was formed. This branch covers South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. One of the predecessor churches was the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Southern Africa which had its origins in the Church of Scotland missionaries that arrived in the 19th century. The other predecessor church was the Presbyterian Church in Southern Africa, which traced its roots to the British colonists that started arriving in the Cape Colony in 1820. Friday, September 27th. Another church union dates to this day in 1947, when the Church of South India formed with the union of the Anglican Church and multiple Protestant churches, including the Presbyterians. September 28th. In 1582, George Buchanan died. He was an academic known for his teaching and work in Latin, and served as a professor at multiple universities in Europe, including a significant time spent at institutions in France. He was an early Lutheran, but became a Calvinist and returned to Scotland in 1560 when the Reformation there began. Buchanan served as a ruling elder, and he was the moderator of the Church of Scotland General Assembly in 1567. He was the last elder to serve as the moderator until Alison Elliott served in that position in 2004. One historian described Buchanan as the most profound intellectual 16th century Scotland produced. Thanks for joining me here on the EAR podcast, and I look forward to joining you again next week. have reached the end of yet another episode from the ear we hope that god's word remains on the ears of the listeners we pray that this podcast would urge you to go forth and spread his good news to the world thank you for tuning in please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast see you at the next episode god bless you and may his glory shine upon you